And that was The Smiths with a track called Unhappy Birthday from the album Strange Ways. Here we come. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Hello and welcome once again to another fabulous 60 minutes of music from the golden decade that was the 80s. And if you've been paying attention and listened to any previous shows, you'll know the format slightly. I catch up with an artist from that golden decade and we play bits of the interview with lots of songs by the band. And this week it is the turn of the Poppin' Jays because I caught up with one half of the combo, Wendy Robinson, a few weeks or months ago to find out more about what life was like in an indie rock band from the 80s. And actually, they are still going. So I'll be bringing that interview alongside lots of other exciting top songs that we all used to love and um, jump about to. But to kick off the show, and because we're feeling very excited too, the Poppin' Jays, I thought we'd start with one of their classic songs. And they do have a lot. This is Monster Mouth.
There you go. That is um, The Heartthrobs and the track called Dreamtime from the album Cleopatra Grip. And before that, we had the Poppin' Jays and the track called Monster Mouth from their album Flying Down to Mono Valley. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And um, I'll tell you how you can contact me a little bit later on in the show. But um, if you were paying attention earlier, you'll realise that this week's um, special guest is Wendy Robinson from from the Poppin' Jays, because I caught up with her to find out more about what life was like in an indie pop band during those glorious years. And I do believe they are going and have got a new album out um, this year, as a lot of bands seem to have done recently. So we'll be bringing you lots more tracks by the Poppin' Jays alongside all the usual quality music, including this little classic. This is They Might Be Giants. Make a hole with a gun perpendicular To the name of this town in a desktop globe Exit wound in a foreign nation Showing the home of the one this was written for My apartment looks upside down from there Water spirals the wrong way out the sink And her voice is a backwards record It's like a whirlpool and it never In the glow of each other's majestic presence Listen in and hear my words To the ones you would think I would say If there was a me for you All alone at the 64 World's Fair 80 dolls yelling small girl after all Who was at the DuPont Pavilion? Why was the bench still warm? Who had been there? Or the time when the storm tangled up to the horn on the pole at the bus depot And in back of the edge of hearing These are the words that the voice was repeating And and I are getting older We still haven't walked in the glow Of each other's majestic presence Listen and hear my words And the ones you would think I would say If there was a me for you when I was driving once, I saw this painted on a bridge. I don't want the world. I just want to have. They don't need me here, and I know you're there. Where the world goes by like the humid air. And it sticks like a broken record. Everything sticks like a broken record. Everything sticks until it goes away And the truth is we don't know anything And and, and I are getting older We still haven't walked in the glow of each other's majestic Listen and hear my words You're the ones you would think I would say If there was 
Indeed, thank you, Dan. That's the uh, the jam from the um, Happy Together, and that's on the album The Gift. And the reason for um, playing that, there's several actually, but I was just listening to an interview with Paul Weller this week because he's um, a father for the eighth time. Go, Paul, that's what I say. Anyway, <laughs> it was an interesting um, interview in places. Yes, but then he was asked at the end um, what uh, songs would he have at his funeral, and um, which I thought was quite a good question, actually, and I sort of perked my little ears up and paid attention because he said, well, it would have to be if I was being buried going underground. Oh, so clever. And if he was getting cremated, funeral pyre. So I thought, well done. 
good one. So um, if you haven't sorted out your sort of soundtrack to your funeral, I would just go and do it um, this coming week because you just never know. You might end up with Robbie Williams' Angels or something from Celine Dion. That's not a bad thing, but uh, it might not have been what you want. Anyway, and before that, we had the unmistakable sound of They Might Be Giants. And that was Anna Nag from the album Lincoln. So there you go. We are rocking and rolling. This is David Eastall, Future Radio on, yes, their very own exciting C86 show that goes out on a Monday, 9 o'clock, repeated on a Wednesday, 11 o'clock, playing the finest in indie pop. And if you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86show and I'll be there. And um, I'm very good at replying. So there you go. Do check it out. Anyway, this week's uh, special guest is Wendy Robinson from the Poppin' Jays. Um, So I thought, because we're almost uh, a, a quarter of the way through the show, we should play another track from them. This one goes out to Roy and April. This is Vote Elvis.
There you go. That is um, Elvis Costello and the track. Oh, and the attractions. God, did I forget that? Nearly. Anyway, and uh, that's a track called Riot Act from his album Get Happy. And um, and I hope you enjoyed the link because before that we had the Poppin' Jays and the track called Vote Elvis. That was completely accidental. I only noticed that once I'd done it. But I like to think that uh, it was all properly planned and there was a little link between... Elvis Costello and Vote Elvis, but um, who knows? Who cares? Anyway, this is David Esau on the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. And like I said, I caught up with one member or one half of the Poppin' Jays. Um, that's Wendy. And I'll be bringing that interview very soon because um, we don't want to leave it too close to the end because sometimes it does get chopped off. But anyway, one label that we really loved back in the um, 80s and 90s was One Little Indian. And um, this was the Sugar Cubes. And they too were also on the same label.
That's the uh, Marine Girls and the track called A Place in the Sun that um, features Gina, Jane and one Tracy Thorne on um, guitar and vocals. Anyway, I'm very excited about the Marine Girls for many reasons, but I'll have to tell you more about that later. Anyway, and before that, we had the Sugar Cubes and that's um, birthday from the track or from the album Life's Too Good. And uh, for those who are keen or have got their... um, brain switched on, you'll realise that that was Bjork on vocals, and that was her very early years. Though I think she was in a band before that, I do believe. Anyway, this is David Eastor on the C86 show, and as um, as you probably know, because I've mentioned it on several times, uh, occasions, this is a Pop and Jay's uh, special, um, so what I'm going to do, rather than leave it all to the end, I'm going to play one more track, not one more for the whole show, just one more track, and then a bit of the interview and more songs. But anyway, this is um, a band that we really used to love. This is Macar in a track called Red Sleeping Beauty.
I know, it was pop perf- perfection. That is McCarthy and the track called Red Sleeping Beauty. This is David East on the C86 Show. This is Future Radio 107.8 FM. And this is the first part of my interview that I had with Wendy Robinson from the Poppin' Jays. And this is where I ask her a bit about the formation of the band. Take it away, Wendy. Okay, well, um, I grew up in West Yorkshire and was just completely obsessed with music and listening to John Peel. Lived in a small village where really not very much was going on, but was completely obsessed obsessed by music and really wanted to be in a band. I think I'd decided that, but there was nobody around where I lived. So as soon as I left school at the age of 18, I decided to take a year off before going to university. And I headed to London, which was a good plan because that's where all the bands were and all the venues and all that kind of thing. But the floor in the plan was I didn't know anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So I put an advert in um, Sounds, I think, the paper of the time. And um, a guy answered who was actually a drummer, but he brought his friend along with him. And his friend was Polly. And she hadn't really come to answer the ad. She'd just come along to, you know, for the ride. But we ended up getting on so well and ended up becoming friends and then making the Poppin' Jays. Because obviously this was around the 88 period when sort of um, indie pop, for me, it's sort of, I've always put it down as about 83 when the Smiths had their first album. That's that's what I'm going on. Right. And, and so, and then you obviously had this kind of moment in 86 when the NME brought out the C86 cassette that seemed to cement it with a bit of a sort of, um, I suppose, a bit shambolic and jingly yeah. jangly. But, but you... We were definitely shambolic initially. I mean, we, we probably got together, we maybe met in 84, 85, got together as a band in 86, um, put out a few things around there, but the, our proper first release was in 88. Right, and it was quite impressive because you managed to get signed as well. Quite Was it quite quite an easy process? Strangely, we got we we had a, we made a list. We were very DIY. We were very um, you know what, what did we want to do? We want we had a very small list of achievements we hoped to get to. One was to have a John Peel session. Yes. One was to play at the Marquee in London, and the other one was to get a single of the week in one of the music papers. So we kind of worked backwards. So how, you know how do so how do we get a gig? Well, we need to write some songs and do a demo. So that's what we did, and then send it around to different venues. And luckily got. A few gigs and our best sort of moment really was the bull and gate in kentish town do you remember the bull and gate no i remember okay. sort of going to some places in kentish town but not the bull and gate no, the bull and gate was a big sort of old pub that had a venue attached at the side of it and there's a guy called john beast who ran it um and it was first called the time box and then it was called hype i think and he gave us a gig there and then he also gave us a job uh, working on the door right um, <laughs> and only, I think, our second gig there, uh, yeah, we got signed by um, Big Cat Records, which was run by a guy called Abbo, right. who used to be in a punk band called UK Decay. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yes. And then from, from there, then we, we got the single of the week, we got the Peel session, and yeah, off we went. And stardom was awaiting. Yes, John Peel. That was all that uh, most of those indie bands really wanted was a, a play on the John Peel show. Anyway, that was the first part of my interview with Wendy. And um, there's another couple coming. But I think we should play some more Poppin' Jays. This is too young.
And that's the Poppinjays with Too Young from the album Flying Down to Mono Valley. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show, and this is the second part of my interview with Wendy Robinson. When I talk about her music or their music, that's uh, te- uh, lasted the test of time. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm told. And, and when we came back to um, kind of start playing them again more recently, I was able to see that at the time. You just kind of do it. But when I look at them now, I can see they were, you know, good, good, good songs. And when, once we'd released the first EP on Big Cat, then um, we were signed to One Little Indian Records, which was what our dream was because we loved lots of the bands on there. And that's how Polly and I approached things. If we liked bands, we found out where they played, what labels they were on and that's where we sort of tried to get ourselves into that's that's you know we were we were fans first and foremost i guess and then we became we became musicians yes yeah which is <laughs> which is amazingly yes impressive because because like i was sort of saying at the beginning most people have this kind of a five-year arc which is the sort of get together make a sound do the single and in those days, do the John Peel show, do the album, do the tour, and then it was all a little bit tricky as it approached the dreaded uh, second album, and then the, and then the dynamics of the band as well, plus yeah. the, the sort of lack of any money. So, how did you manage to sort of keep that together? I guess our friendship was the most important thing to both of us, and we've kind of established that. Although we only came together to do music, we became really close friends. We lived together in a flat. You know, we, we had lots of cats, and we worked at the Bull and Gate, and then we took the Bull and Gate on. We became promoters there. So we had lots to kind of keep us going. We then had people coming in and out of the band. So they were that wasn't stable. Our first bassist was from Seattle, I think, Dana, and then our second bassist, Anne, was from Washington. Then we moved into having a drummer, and then we had a a pair of drummers, uh, brothers, but they kind of came and went. But Polly and I always kind of were the only songwriters. And so we kind of kept the band together, I guess, that way. Because we were, you know, we were friends. And did you feel um, sort of part of any scene at that time? Because obviously this was, you you were sort of sort of riding on the sort of the indie pop scene. Did you have any yeah. sort of feeling of like, God, this is, this is part of the cultural or musical zeitgeist? It, in a way, slightly, but more in terms of running the Bull and Gate and having a, a hand in sort of putting on quite a few of the, you know, that went on to be bigger bands, their first gigs like Blur and, you know, people played there when they were just starting out and swayed and various bands like that. But I don't think we did as the Poppin' Jays. We didn't usually feel that we fitted in. It, it often felt very sort of boy band focused, really. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't think we necessarily knew that we were fitting in with any particular genre or, you know, indie music just covered so many things, but we were always determined to be indie and wanted to be independent. That's why we were on indie labels. But then as things got, you know, better, once we'd released the first album and then a few singles and the second album, we got, um, I vote Elvis did so well in America that we were signed then to Epic and Sony Records for the world. Um, <laughs> and things changed a bit then. Because, yes. You know, that was a very different um, setup altogether. Yeah. Oh, it all sounds like it's getting a bit tricky there. But anyway, that was the second part of my interview with Wendy Robinson from the Poppin' Jays as she talked about, um, yes, the longevity of the band and um, friendships. It's, that's what it's all about. Anyway, they must still be friends because they just brought out a new album this year. Right. Next song. This is the Red Guitars and the track called Dive.
There you go. That is the Red Guitars and the track called Dive from the album Slow to Fade. This is David Easter on the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show and I'll be there. Anyway, the last part of my interview with Wendy Robinson from the Poppin' Jays, where I talk about um, labels, management and all that groovy sort of admin stuff that often is the uh, death or the final nail in the coffin of quite a few bands. This is it. Yeah, and we wouldn't. We never seemed to manage to get a manager either. Nobody seemed to want to manage us, and I don't know quite why that was. We always took it personally, and so it was, you know, because again, it was a very male-dominated industry, and it's not like that we were kind of ardent feminists and hard to work with. But we definitely had an idea how we want things, wanted things to be. So when you didn't have a manager, you know, people didn't want to deal with this. So we ended up having to have a manager as well. Then the major label would sort of um, communicate with us. So in fact, at one time, we pretended that we had a manager but just one of us kind of would phone up and put on a funny voice um, <laughs> but yeah so we kind of felt like we lost control a bit there um, but it felt like you had no sort of choice and then because we had Monster Mouth in this country that did fairly well and then um, Elvis in America then we started to get suggestions that you know how we needed to write songs that they wanted more songs like that yes. um, so we tried to do that but we um we decided against it. So our third album was quite a departure, really, but it was the record we wanted to make, but it was kind of career suicide because it wasn't the jolly pop songs that everybody had started to associate with. Pop. Right. So you managed to get to the third album anyway. Yeah, we got to the third album, and then and then we uh, we called it a day. And then what was, what was that sort of moment when you thought you had to sort of um, have the conversation? Um, we, well... There were two parts to it, I think. When we were in America, we were in Sony Music's office at, like, 40th floor in Manhattan and looking out over this amazing scene. And, you know, if you think about two girls who were in an indie band just kind of making it up as they went along, you think that might be a bit of a dream come true. But we both kind of walked out of that meeting feeling a bit rubbish and just like, oh, golly, 
you know, that didn't feel right. Um, and so that's, that's what started the unravelling. And then when we made the third album and it didn't really get the... Um, it didn't. It didn't really get the acclaim, or no, acclaim's not the right word. We most, lots of people said it's a wonderful album, but it's not the Popping Jays, and we kind of thought, well, maybe we need to stop being the Popping Jays then. Right. We've grown out of being them, so we didn't really think that the, we would stop being in a band. We thought we'd stop being in the Popping Jays, have a bit of a break, um, and then maybe start working together on a different project. But yes. we didn't really do that. It took us <laughs> 25 years to come back to it. <laughs> yes, that was quite... I was just thinking, yes, that was quite That was quite a break, actually. But at least it, it sounded like you and Polly managed to sort of end on, all sort of have a good agreement to sort of call it a day. Yes, I think we, we, you know, as I say, we didn't kind of plan to leave it quite as long as we did, but we never, we never stopped being close friends within that time. Um, um, yes, I've always been sort of part of each other's lives. So when we were asked in 2015 to do a, um, a reunion gig with uh, quite a few other indie bands, we sort of thought, oh, yeah, maybe, let's have a rehearsal, see if we can still do it. Um, and then, yeah, we kind of, discovered that we could and we enjoyed it and it's so nice doing it now in a way because we're much older you don't get caught up in all that worry stuff we're not involved in the music business we've got our own you know other stuff going on so we can just do it and enjoy it so yeah it's, it's a happy ending really and we always like a happy ending. Well, anyway, that's the third and final part of my interview with, with Wendy Robinson from the Popping Jays. So um, a big thank you for uh, giving me the time for that interview. And, um, and we've still got quite a bit of time to go. So I'm going to squeeze another track by the Popping Jays in. This is called Perfect Dream, Dream Home.
Thank you.